Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. And let's hear the word of the Lord, Revelation 12. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was cut up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness. Or she hath a place prepared of gods, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he may cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In order to encourage uh, the troubled persecuted church. We are again being shown further visions that see the church as protected and provided for in the wilderness. And tonight, that's what I want to think about this evening. It is the picture here of the woman in the wilderness, verse number 6 and verse number 14. Right at the outset, I'm suggesting to you that what we see here is a picture of the churches, or the church being protected and provided for in the time of challenge in the wilderness. But to get hold of that, to see that is the teaching, we of course need to see that in its context and in this chapter. 
Chapter 12 begins another new cycle. Uh, again, we're saying there are these cycles of visions in Revelation, and chapter 12 is the latest in these cycles of vision. Uh, you know the new cycle in some part in that it begins with the advent, the coming of Jesus into the world, or at least some description pertaining uh, to his coming into the world. Actually, when you get to chapter 12, uh, you get into the second half of the book, uh, not just in chapter numbers, but in the theme. And we come into the second chapter, the second half of Revelation. And in some ways, it is another uh, time when the, the book repeats the theme of the glorious triumph of Christ. He is the victor. He will overcome all of his enemies. And so chapter 12 begins, if you like, that new section. What you should also see is in verse numbers 1 through 6, and then 7 following, you have the same events being looked at from differing perspectives. And the clue to that, again, is the reference to the woman. Again, verse uh, number 13 refers to the dragon being cast onto the earth, and then the woman being persecuted and flying into the wilderness. And of course, that corresponds to the child being cut up to God, verse number five, and then the woman fleeing into the wilderness. And so the effects that we see, the woman flying into the wilderness, indicates for us that the preceding verses, verses one through five and verse seven through 13, that those are really parallel accounts dealing with the same events from different perspectives. And so we see that, and that's, again, it's an important way to understand and interpret this chapter. And in the opening verses, we, three, we see three characters uh, having prominence. We have, of course, the woman who is travailing in birth, laboring to give birth to a child. We have the dragon mentioned there, and we have also, of course, the child himself. And those are the three main characters. Again, in these studies, it's not my desire to detail every single phrase and clause and try to prove that. Uh, I'm being fairly cursory, uh, but I hope it's detailed enough to carry your conscience. The identity of the dragon is very clear. And we're told that in verse number nine, it is the old serpent, the one who was there in the garden with our first parents, the old serpent, the devil, Satan. And those terms that are used for Satan uh, throughout the scriptures. The picture we have of the devil, of course, is one that has authority and power. Again, the language of verse number three, the seven heads, the ten horns, the seven crowns. These are, if you like, Old Testament images that denote power in the world. And you think back to Daniel's time, some of those numbers are used, those images are used. And we have the idea of horns and crowns. And we have the sense of the devil being the prince of the power of the age, the devil being the god of this world. Those terms are used, of course, in our Bible. And so we are seeing the, the power of the devil. And before we go any further, we should be aware and remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual warfare. And we should not trivialize or make fun of these serious matters when it comes to the matter of the devil and his warfare against the Christ and against his church. And so the devil's painted here. It is a picture. Uh, again, even the people who take the most literal view of Revelation, they will accept here that the picture of the dragon in verse number three is symbolic of the devil and all of his power, authority, and rage and anger. So that's the dragon. It is the devil, the old serpent, and Satan. The child, then, is, of course, Christ himself. 
And that's proven from verse number 5 in the reference to the child being caught up to God and to his throne and ruling all nations with a rod of iron. Now that, of course, is drawn from the second psalm in the verse number 9. Where in the second psalm, again, such a strongly messianic psalm, it says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. And the son that ascends to the throne, to David's throne, is the one that rules the nations with the rod of iron. And of course he is therefore caught up to the throne. And again the reference in Psalm 2 is to Christ sitting upon the throne, God putting his son upon his holy hill. And so therefore you see the child in verse number 5 as indeed Christ himself. So that therefore leaves the issue in the identity of the woman According to uh, Roman Catholic theology, they would see the woman here as a reference to Mary, to the Virgin Mary. Uh, there are many problems with that interpretation. Um, we're going to see some uh, tonight, but it's worth remembering that in this portion that is so symbolic again, the dragon is symbolic, the, again, the, the pictures that are being used here, in something that is so symbolic, it is not likely to have a literal reference to a literal woman, namely Mary. Rather, we believe the woman represents the church. Initially, the church in the Old Testament, the church that is laboring to bring forth the child. And that language is used in Isaiah regarding Israel of old. It's like a woman in labor. We saw some of that in our readings in Isaiah. And so you have here again uh, the church as mentioned initially in the Old Testament. But remember, there is only one true church. There are the true believers in the Old Testament to whom are added the Gentiles and the new. And there is only one true church of Jesus Christ in all ages. And of course, that church is often viewed in imagery of a woman, of a bride. You think again of Christ loving the church and the husband to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And the picture here of the church, verse number one, is a picture of a church of glory. Clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Again, we see the twelve, number twelve here. Often used in Revelation to denote the church of Christ. The twelve tribes, the twelve apostles, those things that are used continually as pictures of the church of Jesus Christ. And the imagery of the sun and the moon, again, speaks of glory and beauty. Uh, just in passing, if you, if you note cross-references in your Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, describes the bride, who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. And so the imagery here of the, of the woman uh, is consistent with similar language used regarding the church in other parts of God's revelation. Therefore, we're not, we're not speculating here when we say the woman is a picture of the church. And that is proven all the more when you see the reference in verse number 11 and verse number 17 to the conduct of the woman as one, again, representing the church, overcoming, overcoming Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And similar to the words of verse 17, the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, that language in Revelation is always used with regards to the true church of Jesus Christ. So of the three characters, the dragons, the devil, 
Now, the child is Christ himself, and again, the woman is the church. What you're seeing then is the devil standing over God's people, seeking to devour the Christ. Now, this does not just happen at Christ's birth. And that's why you see the woman, uh, again, as, as a church, if you like, in, in all ages. When you appreciate the symbolism here, you will understand that the devil has sought to devour the Christ throughout human history. You think of the death of Abel, or the anger of Pharaoh, or all the enemies of God's people right up to Haman and Esther's day. These are all devilish devices to seek to overthrow the people of God and destroy the Christ. And then, of course, you do come to Herod, and you turn back to Matthew chapter 2, and you know the story, what happens, the wise men come to Herod, they're looking for the king of the Jews, and Herod is angry. Uh, What happens when the wise men leave? Well, we have Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which had diligently inquired the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, Lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. And so you're seeing that that Herod, if you like, he comes to the very height of those who are against the Lord's Christ, fulfilling even the Old Testament lamentations as the devil is seeking to devour the Christ of God. But when you go back to Revelation chapter 12, uh, you get to verse number 5, you see that the devil is not successful. And she brought forth a man-child. Successfully brought forth Christ. Again, this is not describing his birth, as it were. It is describing the fullness of the promise of God. Again, these these are pictures, symbolic language. It's not just about his safe arrival in Bethlehem. It is his coming as the Messiah, the one who was to rule all nations. And we know it says that because of the success In verse number 5, the child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And so in that verse, we have the summary, the summary of the work of Christ on this earth. Came with the purpose of ruling the nations, in other words, achieving all power, all authority. And as he achieves all power and all authority, he is caught up unto God. And the ascension of Christ is in view in verse number 5. And so the devil is unsuccessful in his determination to destroy and devour the child. We know that's his purpose. Verse 4 makes it clear. But he was not successful. Praise God, he was not successful. And so when you get to verse number 7... Again, you're seeing the same scene, or a a different scene, but you're seeing the same events described from a different perspective now. You have here war in heaven. It indicates the spiritual warfare that was going on as Christ was coming into the world. Of course, the language used here, the language of the devil, is consistent with some of the Old Testament images of Satan being cast out. And the spiritual warfare of that time, and again, I don't think we're looking at one particular moment in time, is an image of what's happening in in, in heavenly history 
alongside the devil's desire to devour the Christ of God. And yet again, you see that Satan is defeated and heaven rejoices. Verse number 10 says, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. As Satan is cast out in this picture, we see the church or the, uh, we see heaven rejoicing at the coming of the kingdom. Now you've got to think here, Matthew 28, where Christ himself says, All power is given unto me, go ye therefore. And here you see, now has come the kingdom of our God and the power or the authority of his Christ. So coincidental with Satan being cast out is now the Christ having all authority and being given that name above every name because he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so I trust you see how these things come together. You see, turn back please to John chapter 12. And again, I think, I think one of the challenges in Revelation chapter uh, 12 is the sense of, well, surely Satan was cast out at some point in the very early times of human history, or even before human history. All sorts of debates regarding uh, that matter of the creation of the, of the angels and all the rest. But some people say, well, it's very, very early, but that's not necessarily the case here. You see, John chapter 12 shows us that Satan being cast out, again, is coincidental in this picture language, okay, I'm not talking about, you know, Satan's initial rebellion. I'm talking about what happens after that rebellion. There's a time in human history where there's war, if you like, war in heaven as Satan is trying to devour the Christ. But you get to John chapter 12 and Jesus himself says, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And so what Christ is telling us here is that as he dies upon the cross, so that, if you like, is the victory over the devil and the prince of the world being cast out. And we therefore know that in light of Christ's obedience, he makes a show of principalities and powers, our sins are nailed on the cross, he gains all authority, all power, he is indeed the king that rules the nations, and all of that coincides with Satan being cast out in this language. And so when you see it that way, I trust it helps to clarify some of the difficulties you may have in Revelation chapter 12. What happens? Well, again, you see the result as Christ overcomes. Verse number 5, in Revelation 12 again, he overcomes. The child is caught up unto God. The woman flees. And so it is. When the devil sees, he's cast out. Verse number 13, he persecutes the woman which brought forth the man-child. And so what you're seeing here is the devil, as a defeated foe, knows his time is short and wages war against the woman, namely the true church of Jesus Christ. Hence, I think we are entitled to see this woman as being the woman persecuted by the devil, but protected and provided for by God. And when does this happen? Well, it happens for a thousand two hundred and three score days. Forty-two months, three and a half years. Which I think therefore corresponds to verse 14. A time, if that's one year, times, two years, half a time, half a year. You see, these are different ways to describe the same period of time, the same time we saw of the witnesses in chapter 11. Remember, the witnesses is exactly the same time period. 
And so you're seeing what's happening here. Well, the witnesses, they witness from the first century to Christ's coming. And so here we find the church being protected from Christ's ascension all the way through to the end of the age. The church protected. And so the comfort to the first century church. So if you're reading this and you're, you're a believer and you're, you're hearing the words that John has given to you, you're reading this, you're hearing it, the comfort is that though Domitian would destroy the church as an agent of the devil, the church is secure. It's safe in the place that God has prepared for it. And so for us today, if we're in this period of time, and I believe we are, we can then stand against Satan and his forces knowing that we are safe. And so if that is the context and the lessons we can learn here, then what do we see regarding the church in the wilderness? Well, very quickly, you see the place. You see, we are to think here of the contrast. The woman flees into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, verse 6. Now they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. The wilderness is a place that is harsh and inhospitable. And yet in that place, God has prepared a place, a place of safety for his church. Now surely once more the imagery here is drawing on the Old Testament. The church, the woman in the wilderness. Now you think, I'll just read to you the words of Exodus chapter 19. It says there, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings. Isn't that what happens over in Revelation chapter 12? The woman, she's given two wings of a great eagle to be taken into the wilderness. We're, we're being encouraged to, to think of God's provision in the Old Testament. And, and Deuteronomy, chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 8, it refers to the, the warnings when the people of God are in the promised land. They're warned regarding forgetting God's mercies. Uh, and in the context, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 15, it says this, that God who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, wherein there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna. You see that? That in the wilderness and all its troubles, there they were provided for by God. And so it is for New Testament saints. We are told, of course, by Peter that we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. That we live in a hostile place and we are encouraged as we live among the heathens to, to guard our hearts. You see, we should never forget the church exists in a hostile environment. We as a church, we live when the devil is seeking to wage warfare against us. That, that is our experience. And therefore we should expect difficulties in our walk in the world. We should expect enemies without and discontent within. You think of the, the picture of the, of the people of God in the wilderness. They had enemies outside them and they had, they had divisions and disputes and discontent within the group. They had seasons of hunger and thirst and trouble in the church. But in the spiritual, we fight against Satan's armies. We wage not warfare against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And our only hope is verse number 11, and that is overcoming him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. In other words, our only hope is in the Lord. As we exist in a hostile environment, it is that we be faithful to Christ and to his word. That is our only hope. You see, the church 
whilst its challenges or whilst its surroundings are challenging, the church is there in the sovereign purpose of God. And the word prepared, verse number six, there's a place prepared, prepared of God. And in that place prepared, it speaks of somewhere that is made ready. Uh, the Passover meal was prepared. The spices for the Lord's burial were prepared. They were made ready. And so God has placed in the wilderness a place made ready for our safety. In other words, in a hostile environment, God has provided to secure the church's safety. Which leads, secondly, to the provision. And the words are used here as fed. Verse number six, that they should feed her there. Again, there's a challenge there with the, 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 the word that the Jews ever feed and that they should feed her. That's, that's a difficult thing to translate and be clear what's involved there, but has a sense of God preparing a place whereby she would then be fed. Fed. Provided for. And the same word is used in verse number 14, this time translated with the word nourished. Fed and nourished. Now here I wonder... Are we to see something not only in the manna in the wilderness, but something regarding the reference here to the time period, three and a half years? Surely that is a reference to Elijah's time. If you like, the most famous three and a half year period in the history of Israel is a time when Elijah pronounced drought upon Ahab's kingdom. Three and a half years. And in 1 Kings 17, we find that at that time, God is telling Elijah, go to the brook Cherith, and I'll look after you there. And go to the widow of Zarephath, and I'll look after you there. In other words, God provides for Elijah, and by the way, the 7,000 remnant, he provided for them in times of drought, when his wrath is poured out. And so that's the picture here. As God's wrath has been revealed upon the world, so the church is kept safe, provided for, and nourished. Surely we are to see lessons here. Not that we are sustained physically in terms of manna and quail and ravens and that sort of thing, but that we are fed by God. In days of famine and hostility, God prepares a place in the wilderness. And I believe we have here an encouragement regarding the church of Christ. The local church as a sanctuary, a smorgasbord of gospel blessing provided for us Lord's Day by Lord's Day, whereby we can come and we can eat the finest, the feast of the gospel promises provided for us in the wilderness. Out there's a famine, but in here's a feast, a feast of good things to nourish the church in times of great trouble. And what a tragedy it is when people neglect the blessing of a local church, whatever that church may be, but a place in the wilderness where God feeds us. Does God not tell the elders to feed the flock of God over the which you're made an overseer? That sense of Acts chapter 20, the sense of 1 Peter chapter 5, feed the flock of God. It is the duty again of the church leadership to ensure that people are well nourished and well fed because God has so provided for this. Oh, we should see the value of a local church gathering. As food is eaten to sustain flesh, so scriptures are believed to sustain the soul. You've got to come to the house of God expecting to eat. Come and eat. Come and be nourished and fed. And do not neglect, do not starve yourself by neglecting the house of God and the teaching of the Word of God. God has prepared a place for us in the wilderness. A place, praise God, of provision. And also finally, just very quickly, a place of protection. 
Verse 15 refers to Satan's desire to destroy the woman with a flood. Again, flood imagery is used often in the Old Testament regarding the enemies of God's. In Psalm 18, verse 4, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The king of Assyria comes as a flood, Isaiah chapter 8. Similarly, in Jeremiah 46, Who is this that cometh up as a flood, whose waters are moved as the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood. And it's all about judgment and the idea of God judging his people in a flood. And so you're seeing here, the devil is seeking to destroy. And yet you have the image of the earth helping the woman. Surely that is drawn from the picture of the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 15, in the Song of Moses, Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Again, these are mixing images, drawing from Old Testament language to teach the church today that Satan cannot destroy the church of Christ. He cannot overcome. He will not overcome. He cannot succeed. And so you get to chapter 13, and you see a beast coming. Verse number 1, a beast coming out of the sea. The power of that beast given to him by the dragon. Verse number 4. They worship the dragon, which give power, authority, unto the beast. And that beast and the dragon, verse number 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. But what do you see when you get to chapter 14, verse number 1? And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. In other words, the beast and the dragon, they could not destroy the church because Christ's on the throne. That's the point. And so you get all the challenges. Who's the beast? What's involved in all of this? Oh, just simply see the blessed truth. Christ reigns, and he shall always overcome. Satan cannot overcome the church of Christ. And so I trust you see here, Revelation again is giving us yet another way to encourage a church in its struggles, in its troubles, in its trials. And the encouragement once more is to look to Christ, to see him sitting on Mount Zion, reigning on the throne, and with him as people who are safe and secure in their union with him. May God help us to grasp these things, to, again, to search the Scriptures, to examine the Scriptures, to see if these things are so. And if they are so, and they're according to God's will, may they therefore nourish and strengthen our faith, that we not live in doubt and discouragement, but walk strong in the midst, again, of such troublesome days. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.